Well, um, so I, I have a little prop this morning. Can anybody tell me what is this? Oh, that's a football, right? It's a football, and many of you know it, it's football season. And I know maybe some of you don't care a whole lot about that, and maybe some of you don't really uh, follow football all that much, but I imagine that you at least know what this is, that you know that this is a football, you've seen a football before. Well, in our house, uh, football is a big deal. In fact, we even have fantasy football teams, and we compete against each other in a fantasy football league for bragging rights to, to see who knows the most about football. And we have our favorite players and we have our favorite teams and we go crazy cheering for them. Now, we're, we're not going to have an argument this morning about which team is the best or anything like that, but if any of you saw the Ohio State game last night, wow, go Bucks. But really, you know, anyone who plays uh, professional sports it has to be a phenomenal athlete, and it takes a special person in order to be a coach of one of those teams as well. And many people work really, really hard for many, many years trying to become a professional athlete, to play a professional sports uh, with no success at all. Not a whole lot of people have what it takes to make it in the professional sporting world. But one of the most successful people to coach football in the NFL is a guy by the name of Vince Lombardi. Now, many of you Bears fans probably don't like to hear this all that much, but that coach from the, fated, the, the hated team up north, the Green Bay Packers, one of the best coaches of all time, regardless of which sport you're talking about. He took the Packers from being the worst team in all of football to being the best team in all of football. In fact, in his nine-year coaching career for the Packers, he led them to six championship games. Five of them, they won the whole thing. They won it all that year. Even today, if a team wins the Super Bowl, they get a trophy, and that trophy is called the Lombardi Trophy because it just seemed that he was winning every year. And in fact, that's why they named it after him. So uh, if you've never, if you don't know anything about Vince Lombardi, you've never seen a picture of him before, we have a picture this morning. I'll put it up on the screen there for you. But there's a, a writer by the name of James Clear. He writes about Lombardi and he says this. He says, it was July of 1961 and 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season, they had ended up with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers had squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter, lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay Packers players had been thinking about the brutal loss their entire offseason, and now finally training camp had arrived, and it was time for them to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and to start working on the details that would help make them a championship team. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch. He assumed that the players were a blank slate, that they carried over no knowledge from the previous year, that they didn't really know anything about football. 
He began with the most elemental statement of all, and he said, Gentlemen, holding up a pigskin in his, in his right hand, this is a football. Now, I mean, he's talking to grown men. He's talking to people who have played football their entire lives for many, many years. And he starts by saying, gentlemen, this is a football. Lombardi's success is well documented. And one of the things that made him such a great coach was his emphasis on the fundamentals. That he was convinced that the reason why you won was because you were good at the basics. That you were able to focus in on the fundamentals. Some of us, when we think about football, we like to see those trick plays. We like to see players hitting each other hard. We like all the flashy stuff. But that, those things don't mean much unless you know how to block and unless you know how to throw an accurate pass, unless you're able to tackle properly. It wasn't like there was a point in Lombardi's career where he said, you know, uh, why worry about the basics? Why worry about the fundamentals? I mean, we're a great team. We have great players. I'm a great coach. No, he never said anything like that. The fundamentals for anyone who would master their craft is something that needs to be taught and retaught and revisited over and over and over again. Well, I want to just shift gears here for a moment and not focus so much on sports. To the relief of some of you this morning, we're not going to be talking about sports all morning. And we're not going to be talking about entertainment. We're not going to be talking about school or the business world so much. But we want to focus in and spend some time looking this morning at the church life. When we think about what we do as a body of believers, as a church, can we distill all of that down to a few basic things that we can focus in on? I mean, are, are there some activities in the church where we say, you know what, there are, these are very fundamental things that we need to be about as a church, and we need to revisit these things over and over and over again. And in fact, we need to master what it means to be the church by doing these things on a regular basis. Now, I think we often make this mistake when it comes to the basics, when it comes to the fundamental things. That we think that because they're the basics that that somehow makes them easy. But that's not true. You know, like, like thinking that a professional football player must not have to practice uh, very hard at passing the football or catching or blocking or anything like that because they're already a great player. They don't need to practice that stuff. No, just the opposite is quite true. It takes great discipline at working on the basics in order to be a great player. And we are called to do this as well in the church. That as we think about the invincible, unstoppable power that is on display in the church, we are going to look at a passage this morning that shows us these basic things that we need to be about. And we are going to challenge ourselves. We need to remember these basics. We need to do them well. We need to put these things into practice. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open your favorite Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So Jesus has ascended into heaven. He died on the cross, rose from the grave, spent some time with his followers, and now he has ascended into heaven. 
He's basically said, you know what, I'm going to go be with my father, and I want, and I've got some work to do. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But, but in the meantime, I'm going, I want you to stay here, and I want you to go forward with this gospel mission that I have for you. I want you to go, and I want you to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus tells his followers, he says, you know what, I'm going to send you a helper. I am going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your guide, to be your counselor. And at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see that happening. We see that very thing taking place at the day of Pentecost. If you're with us last week in Sunday school, you'll remember that God does this very powerful work in the apostles, through the apostles, and the other believers who are there. How Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon of a lifetime. And it says there at the end of that section in Acts chapter 2 that thousands were added to the church that very day. What we're going to do now is we want to pick up reading this passage. We want to pick up where that ends and where what happens after that. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And so you have your Bibles open in front of you. We'll also have the words up on the screen. But Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, here's what it says. And they, that, that was these early believers, these first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so here we see this ideal picture of what God would desire for those who would come to him and be a part of his masterpiece called the church. Now, we want to look at four aspects this morning of what it is that they did back then, the things that they were a part of back then, and that we need to focus on today, the basics, the fundamentals of the church. First, I want you to notice there that there was a commitment to the apostles' teachings. A commitment to the apostles' Teachings. The apostles were the first followers, the first associates of Jesus, the disciples who knew Jesus well. They, they traveled around with him for three years. They witnessed these events leading up to the crucifixion. They saw him being raised from the dead, and they went on to write what we now call the New Testament in our Bibles. And so these apostles were eyewitnesses. They were the first generation to witness what Jesus did. And these early Christians, they devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching. Or uh, maybe if you're familiar with the King James Version, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now, some of you, you hear those words, teaching or doctrine, and it makes you think about school. Or it makes you think about something from your past that you would rather just forget. 
And, and you might be thinking, well, you know what? Isn't that kind of boring? Isn't it kind of irrelevant to think about things that have taken place, things that have been taught 2,000 years ago? Or, or maybe, you know, most people I know, they don't like school all that much. And it reminds them of having to listen to lectures, of having to take notes and, and being tested on the material. And maybe you say, you know what, I work really hard Monday through Friday. And what you're telling me is that I need to then come to church and I need to listen to some more teaching? Well, I hope that that is not the way that you look at this. Because when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and these doctrines that the early church held so closely, not only are they a source of practical living for us, that they affect everyday life, that they tell us how to live successfully in a very complicated world, in a very complicated day and age. But, but these are truths that we should treasure because they give us hope for this life and on into eternity. Now, when we talk about the apostles' teaching, there's a lot that we could discuss here. We could talk about the sovereignty of God. We could talk about mankind and the fact that all people have been made in the image of God. And so God values people and we should value people as well. We, we could talk about original sin. We could talk about the effects of sin and, and how we have all been born as sinners in need of a Savior. And when talking about the apostles' teaching... I think we can kind of narrow it down a little bit more concisely here. We think about even just the, the, the verses that came right before our text for this morning. We, we think about how Peter uh, got up and he preached that message at Pentecost. That, that, uh, that message that we saw and talked about last week in Sunday school. But we could also go to other places in the scriptures as well. We could see a very similar pattern taking place. We could go to places like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what I want to do this morning is I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what the Apostle Paul wrote and said to the church there in Corinth. And so Paul had founded this early church there in Corinth. And now years later he's writing in order that he might encourage them, in order that he might uh, uh, help spur them on to remain faithful to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read the first eight verses there. And Paul writes this, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. And then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul writes. So what, what's Paul saying there? He's saying there is a truth that the church in Corinth has been founded on. And the truth is this, that Jesus Christ had a powerful ministry. That he died on a Roman cross. He was raised back to life three days later. That people saw it. 
that everyone is called to repent of their sins, to entrust their lives to Jesus and what he did on the cross in order to provide salvation, to bring salvation to his people. That is the essence of the gospel. That is the good news on which the church is built. And week in and week out, that's why we gather together as a church to remind ourselves of these truths. That, that, that's what the early church did. That's what we do here at St. Paul's Bible Church. When we get together, we don't come with our own agenda. We, we don't come with our own message here. Our message is his message. We are sinners in need of a savior. And the great hope is that Jesus is the savior. He is the one who can heal the brokenhearted, who can set the captive free, who can breathe new life into people who were once dead. Remember an old hymn that we used to sing when I was a boy. And it went like this. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groanings of His precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Now, you, you see, it, it's an old, old story. That, that hymn was written a hundred years ago, and it was an old story back then. But, but we as Christians, we love to tell it. We treasure the apostles' teachings. Those truths are the hope for our lives. They're the hope for us. Everything, everything in life begins and ends with Jesus Christ as the center. And so there was a commitment to the apostles' teaching, a commitment to the gospel. But secondly here, I want you to notice there in verse 42 that there was a commitment to the fellowship. There was a commitment to the community. Now, we live in a day and age where we focus a lot more on the individual, and we think less and less, we're less and less inclined to join in with a larger group of people. An example of this is talked about in The Atlantic. It's a secular uh, publication. In an article that I read recently about teenagers and technology, the article said that the evidence is showing over and over and over again that specifically 14-year-olds would rather spend any vacation time that they have in their room, on their devices, on their screens, rather than actually interacting face-to-face -face with anyone. Now, when we live like that, we are more and more isolated. We are less and less inclined to give of ourselves and really get to know people very well. But, but that wasn't an option in the early church. They were committed. They were devoted. They were continuously giving of themselves to the fellowship. Now, when I think about the church, there are a couple of things that I think are extremely important for our growth, for our maturity, both individually and corporately. First, there is the fact that we join together, and when we join together, it, it creates this one common bond. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are linked together because of our allegiance to King Jesus. That he has bought all of us with the precious blood, the high price of the precious blood uh, of his, himself. And because of that, we are being changed, we are being transformed, and we want to live our lives in service to him. We want to please the king. 
We have this focus, and there should be great strength that comes from that. We go into the world, and at, at times we feel like it, it might be rather intimidating because it seems like there's not very many people who think about Christian things. And yet, we have the church. We have the church, to, the church family that helps remind us, helps encourage us to remain faithful to the mission that we've been given. But you know, also in the church, you, you have people with different personalities, people who have different giftedness, and people who are from different backgrounds. And that's a great thing because uh, the church community, that, that, that as we serve the king, we do it in different ways and, and we can learn from each other and we can grow together in that and we need to be committed to each other. And so with that, I just want to remind you of numerous ways that you can be involved here in the church community of believers at St. Paul's. On Sunday mornings, following the morning worship service, we, we always have coffee time. Now, you're already here. It's not too much effort to stay a little longer, right? I mean, we have coffee already. We have juice. We have, have some snacks. You, you can uh, come and uh, hang out in the fellowship hall and, and, and get to know people a little bit more. Join in in Sunday school. Wednesday night Bible study. You can come to that. Small groups. Uh, men's breakfast on Saturday morning. We, we have a, a Christian fellowship committee that, that plans activities throughout the year that, that, that we can get together and be a part of. If you're a teenager this morning, there's youth group, and along with youth group is Second Mile Sisters and Brotherhood. And we need to be a people, we want to be a people who are committed and connected with each other, a people who are devoted to the fellowship of the believers. Third, I want you to notice here in our text that there was a commitment to shared meals. A commitment to shared meals. Verses 42, and again there in verse 46, we're told twice that they broke bread. Now, the Dictionary of Christian Ethics and Pastoral Theology says this. It says, food is a fundamental requisite for human life. And, as might be expected, occupies an important role in physical, social, and commercial areas of human polity, as well as those areas that are explicitly religious. Now, you hear that, and some of you are like, okay, you, you lost me. It's a little bit over my head. But basically, that, that's a complex way of saying food is not just for filling your stomach. But, but that food, it plays a very important role. It has a very important social purpose. That in a way, it's kind of like food is a, a universal language, right? That, that everyone needs to eat. I mean, most of us will eat three times a day. Now, God didn't have to make it that way for us. In fact, there are some animals that eat far less than that. God could have made it that we would only eat maybe once a month or something like that, but he didn't. And, you know, what's amazing to me is that that, that fact that God has given us taste buds and different spices and flavors and textures. You know, I'm not a picky eater. I, I, I eat about anything. But the fact that there is this variety of foods and tastes and, and textures is, is something that I see as being such a great blessing to us from the hand of God. That God has given us this gift of food and, and eating meals can be such a great joy. 
It teaches us about our dependence upon God. I mean, we need to eat three times a day. How, we're dependent upon Him. That, that everything, that every one of us needs food to survive, to be sustained. That, that we enjoy eating. This isn't just true in our culture, but I, I think it's true universally around the world. In every culture, every culture that I can think of, they have this common meal where they eat together and there's this important purpose of eating in community. Food serves a very basic reminder to us of what it means to be human. Because it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're young or you're old, what your culture or ethnic background is, our need to eat food is a great equalizer. It's something that we all have in common. And food has this unifying effect in the church as well. The early church broke bread together. They sat down and they got to know each other. They, they took this thing that all of us need and need to do, and they spent time doing it together, and so should we. Now, most people say that the technical phrase, uh, the breaking of bread, is not just any ordinary meal that's being talked about or referred to here. But th this is actually referring to the Lord's Supper. Even the night when Jesus was betrayed, it wasn't just bread and wine that they had together, but they also had a lamb. They ate a whole Passover meal together. And so when these early Christians, when they would meet and they would have the Lord's Supper together, they would do it in order to remind themselves, to remind each other of what Jesus had done in order to give them hope for this life and beyond and to bring salvation to his people. And so we have this meal of the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate next Sunday together. It's a very tangible reminder of Christ, and that must be a focus, that we must focus on Him and what He has done. But then finally, there in verse 42, I want you to notice that there was this commitment to prayer. A commitment to prayer. What could be more impractical in 2018 with all of the busyness of our lives, with all of our responsibilities? I mean, are we really going to take time as a group to pray to God, a God that we can't even see? Well, it was a basic principle of the church. It is a basic principle of the church. We must be a church of prayer to be completely dependent upon the Lord, to pray that He would do a great work in our lives, through our lives, that as He does this work, that we go out and we serve in Beverly and Morgan Park and Evergreen and South Shore and Roseland and Oak Lawn and Worth, wherever it is that you're from, that, that He would do this great work through us of extending the fame of His great name, of building His kingdom, we must, we must be dependent upon him in prayer. You know, corporate prayer can be a little challenging at times, even a little bit intimidating. And maybe you're praying with people that you don't know all that well, and you wonder what people are thinking about you as you're praying out loud. But you know what? Prayer is something that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that there is this unity in approaching God in prayer. That he wants to do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine. And often, he does that through prayer. 
And so we need to devote ourselves to be committed to that. Well, God's favor comes upon this early church and he adds to their number daily. They're doing these basic things well. They're doing the fundamentals well. And, and they're committing themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're committing themselves to fellowshipping with one another. They, they, they break bread together. They're, they're uh, praying together. They're, these are very easy things to talk about. The basics are easy to talk about, but much more difficult to put into practice. And so... In the closing moments this morning, I'd, I'd just like to ask us this. All of us can only have so many commitments in our lives. Which commitments are we going to allow to govern our time? Which commitments are we going to see as being fundamentally basic, most important? And how committed am I to the church? That's the kind of questions that we need to ask ourselves. That's the kind of questions that we need to think about, not just today, but on into the rest of this week, the rest of this month. These are the things that we need to focus on because there is a design here for the healthy church and we need this to be a priority in our, in our lives. We need to think appropriately about these things. This is a high standard. It's not easy being committed to things is never an easy thing to do. But as we commit to these things, we receive God's blessing and we see his power on display in amazing ways.